Hello everyone. Welcome back to another week of our soul. Yay. Yeah, yeah. So this week I'm not just here with Terry, but also we have a special guest, um, Mason. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Mason Hickman. I use he, him pronouns. I am the digital organizer at Planned Parenthood Advocates of Ohio. And then I also sit on the board of Women Have Options, which is the statewide abortion fund. And Woo! I'm very excited to be here. Yay! Woo! It's nice to have you here. Um, so originally, we were hoping to start this podcast like back in mid-May before the world well I mean the world was already insane by then but like you know before it went um before things got even crazier but um originally we had hoped to have you on for a conversation about pride uh but you know pride lasts all the time so I'm we're gonna get into some uh gay conversations here (laughs) (laughs) but it's great to have you so um This weekend, we are having an event. Um, It is called 150 Days of Injustice, Revitalize Black Lives. And so um, the the title is based off of the fact that um, on August 1st, it will have been 141 days since um, Breonna Taylor's killing, and yet there is still not justice there. And um, I thought that was like a good kind of... um, baseline point like someone that a lot of people know about but obviously we're not just focusing just on Breonna Taylor even though she is very important um, but the hundreds of thousands all of the black lives that are still waiting for justice right now Um, so also the second half revitalized black lives um, there has been you know the beginning part of the movement was kind of like just really or the the protests that have been going on this summer Um, was really like this thing happened and so we need to get out there and I know that there have been a lot of people that um, have done a lot of work before now to to make um, these protests happen and be successful Um, but also I think that a lot of people have not been able to take a break and have not been able to um, do the kind of uh, laying of groundwork that allows for sustainability um, of the protest uh, movement and so our hope is to you know take all the people who this is their first time if they've never done this before and help give them some um, of that groundwork stuff so that the more experienced people don't have to uh, worry about like stupid people putting themselves in stupid situations or not stupid people unexperienced people putting themselves in dangerous situations Um, So that's kind of uh, a thing that's going on this week, which is great. And so I thought that we could talk a little bit about um, the protests that have been going on here and all that. Well, I start by talking about protesting. (laughs) And, you know, Kelly, I'm really excited because I, I see this event as like the second layer of work that must be done. There's always like the primary work of seeking justice and work. Um, around direct action and there is a second layer of you know energy that has to go into helping to equip people and you know I'm really excited to see that uh, in the space and I'm also excited because 
a lot of Mason's work, um, you know, with Planned Parenthood and Women Have Options Ohio, are focused around that that secondary support work as well to to do the work that supports the people who are you know able to do that that direct access you know to to keep um, access to justice available and to keep the story being told um, you know I I find that uh, an important piece that we have to make sure not to neglect in, in this time so. Um, you know, Mason, how, how have you been uh, involved uh, in the protests right now? What, how, what have your, your kind of main experiences been? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, there are so many amazing members of this community that I've seen out there on the front lines. And, you know, speaking for myself, at least, I was... One of the um, trans folks, and I know that there there were many that were actually um, pepper sprayed or, or in tear gassed um, one of those first weekends. Um, and I'm sure we all remember <laughs> with the, the curfew and everything that was going on. And um, I actually was talking to a handful of folks um, about the side effects of tear gas and whatnot. And, you know, one of them being um, folks who had not had a period in a very long time because of being tear gassed ended up menstruating and it was just such a like i don't even know how to describe it even looking back now the the impact because you know there was so much going on um and there still is but you know folks being attacked pepper sprayed and tear gassed that is something that you know once you get home and you start experiencing the side effects of that like it's so deeply personal um and it just feels like and you know that's just one that was just one day just one experience and you know protests are still going on in columbus even as recent as you know this weekend and you know one of the things that i feel like i've seen a lot of folks saying they're not sure how to show up and you know to that i would say you know if you can go and and be at these protests and events um but even if you can't make it you know drop off water drop off food if you can provide um masks or you know some type of first aid equipment if you can you know donate any funds that you have things like that and so you know what i've really seen in these last a uh, few weeks to you know the last two months even um, is the community really showing up um, and I'm sure you can both vouch for that as well <laughs> that's yeah, that's um, really profound I think you know sharing that experience and thank thank you for sharing um, you know the idea that you're being attacked tear gassed pepper sprayed and not not just by anybody by by the police right by the people who are supposed to, you know, in in the mythology, the great big mythology of our, our national social culture, they're supposed to be protecting and serving, right? Um, and that is the source of this violence in in our community. Um, yeah, I, I for me, uh, part of my struggle living in, in rural, you know, Ohio, living in Chillicothe, I'm an hour and a half away from Columbus. Columbus isn't really my backyard. So, you know, I'm down here trying to help coordinate, um, 
you know, communications for people, sending money, uh, you know, doing work in our community. And my heart just breaks seeing people who, you know, I love and respect and, and have seen do so much great work in the community treated like absolute trash just just treated horrendously um abusively by by columbus police it's just it's otherworldly you know uh, kelly uh mentioned earlier you know we we didn't know in may what uh things would look like here in july well my goodness we never imagined this that's for sure um yeah i like just speaking to um the attacks by the police uh, last week after we had posted this event on Facebook, um, somebody had asked if it was going to be safe for pregnant people mm. because they were they want to be involved and they want to be a part of this education and they want to, you know, learn the things so they can um, be a better member of the community. But, like, also they want to have their, ch- their child. Um, they want to... <laughs> I mean, Mason, you talking about um, trans people menstruating after such a long time. I mean, people are having miscarriages as well from um, this attack by the police. And it, the the other sad thing, not only was it sad that um, they had to ask that question, but the fact that I had to answer, I don't know. <laughs> like, I cannot mm. with any certainty tell you whether or not it will absolutely be safe for you. I said, like, you know, we're trying to make this <clears throat> as safe as we can. Um, we've tried to, you know... Good, make a safe amount of distance from downtown because that's where we know the police have been um, but I cannot guarantee that they won't show up and attack us and that is truly sad it's funny because like the the people who um, often support the police you know um, Republicans are like very connected to um, like the first amendment rights just the conservative people who um, are for police um, are very protective of their like amendment, their their rights from the amendments, especially the Second Amendment, and I feel like the First Amendment too. And yet, this is like a direct violation of your First Amendment right to be attacked for, like saying how you feel and being mad at the government. Um, and <laughs> you well, I, I think you're exactly right, though. They are very protective of their First Amendment mm-hmm. rights, right? They're not protective not of other people's First Amendment rights. You know, I, I you know, sitting down here in Chillicothe, I, I've watched, uh, you know, folk go out. And I, I think we've been disabused of the mythology, um, you know, of everybody has free speech and everybody is treated equally because I I had a lot of clergy colleagues up in Columbus say, you know what, we're going to go out and we're going to march with these folk. And they found out that it doesn't matter if you're in a robe and a stole, you're going to get pepper sprayed if you are not espousing the kind of speech that the police in Columbus want you to espouse. Mm -hmm. You know, I had clergy colleagues, uh, you know, dozens of clergy colleagues, maced, uh, pepper sprayed, couple of them received significant injuries at the hands of police and a few of them were surprised they said but but i i was there in a collar they knew that i was you know this religious leader and it's like yeah but guess what if they don't care about trans people and they don't care about pregnant people they're not going to care about religious people because this isn't about 
you, it's about the agenda of the state-sponsored violence against all of our reproductive freedom, against mm -hmm. our right to exist without state-sponsored violence. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it's their concern for their First Amendment rights, not everybody's. I was reading something about in Portland, they were like taking off the press badges of the reporters mm -hmm. as they arrested them. It's like blatant, like just disregard for these rights that they say they care so much about. Ugh, anyway. Yeah, so it's just insane. Well, and, and what I, I find so frustrating, you know, from a like broader perspective is that we are sitting here literally having to fight this battle on top of all the battles we're already fighting. Because, like, you know, Women Have Options Ohio would much rather be using all of their time, effort, and energy to help make abortion accessible in this state, you know, that that is so clearly not accessible right now. On top of all of the work that they do usually they're having to do this extra layer of work just to live right i mean we've we have got to turn this tide we have got to change this story because this cannot be our ongoing story as a community and as a people but like but like still even though um i know that women have options would would rather you know just be focused on like um abortion access and all of that um at least so I am now a board member as well for Women Have Options. Um, and so me and Mason are, are in that together. Um, and I, I, at least from, I'm new, um, but from everything that I know about Women Have Options, is I think we see like abortion access and um, like the Black Lives Matter movement and all of these other things, they're all interconnected and they all um, are like our job to pursue mason you can correct me if i'm wrong no i i think you're absolutely correct i mean i mean you know racial justice is reproductive freedom and you know vice versa and yeah exactly what you said <laughs> i think and you know i i i know for a fact that like women have options and you know the leadership is so just over the moon to be able to be involved as much as we are and be able to help out literally wherever we can. Um, 100%, you know? Yeah. I, I know. Mean, I think that that uh, Steph, who is the ED of Women Have Options, they have encouraged me the most. Um, uh, in fact, like the idea for this event on, on Saturday came out of a conversation with Steph about um, what what we can be doing um, in this movement, and yeah, it's like how can I, we do more? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like what? How can we help make this movement sustainable? How can we help this be more successful without putting more weight on the backs of the experienced organizers who are already out here, like um, burning out? I had a, so how can we make it easier? I, I had a retired clergy colleague friend of mine um, who attends First Congregational Church in Columbus uh, call me last week, it, well, about two weeks ago, and she wanted to know, she said, do you have any ideas? I, I have a little money that I wasn't expecting um, that I've, I've kind of come into 
I would like to make a donation to an organization. She's like, do you have any suggestions? And I threw up, you know, Columbus Freedom Fund initially. And she asked me where I could find, you know, information about it. And I, I had to explain to her, well, you know, Columbus Freedom Fund is actually, um, you know, kind of fiduciarily taken care of by Women Have Options Ohio. And she said, wow, what? what is the connection there? Why, how is, you know, Women Have Options Ohio, um, how did they, they get involved as the, the financial agent to help, you know, this, this kind of fledgling freedom fund? And I got to give her the whole, uh, my whole sermon about, oh, of course it's connected because, you know, the, the work that Women Have Options Ohio does is directly connected to freedom and liberation and collective liberation uh, does not have a a lane, so to speak. Everything that oppresses any person is part of this collective liberative agenda. Um, and you know, to see that that conversation, she was just really amazed. And you know, it makes sense once you you look at the agenda of reproductive freedom is everybody's free in as many possible ways as you can name and engage. You know, freedom is freedom is freedom, and we're all fighting for that. Um, I, I, I see, you know, Mason, you kind of mentioned um, earlier, uh, you see this idea of a big connection, uh, a really large connection, and, uh, you know, community support being really prevalent right now. I, I get the sense, and this is, this is just me, I'm interested to know if, if you share that, um, I get the sense that we are coming into kind of a season of cooperative melding where organizations are just starting to come together in ways we just never have before. We're breaking down those barriers. We're starting to have that, that kind of cooperative communal uh, move toward liberation. I, I'm really excited about that. Do you, do you see that? Do you sense that with organizations? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that. I think that there are organizations that have been doing this work for a very long time and have been fighting this fight. Um, and I, you know, would definitely want to give credit to them. And I feel like the rest of the organizations that have now stepped up, it's because they've woken up. Mm. I think there's been a collective waking up and kind of like, okay, you know, you're here now and let's do it, you know? And, but, you know, I, I think you're right. It's that where we're at now, because everyone has really woken up and has committed to doing the work that needs done, we are coming into something that I don't think we've seen here before in Columbus, you know, with all of us. Um, I mean, it's, I haven't, at least I've only lived here for two years. Um, and I haven't seen this kind of, like, collective, um, like, push towards doing the same thing. And I am all about, always about, like, collaboratives and, uh, coalitions and work like that. It's, it's like, I think a lot of people, um, often try to put things in their own boxes, like, oh, this is, like, the repro space, and this is, like, the anti-racist space, and this is, like, the queer space. Um, but it would be much more effective if we could just put that, if we, they could all work together towards one thing. And I think now it has been so unavoidable 
like, it would be wrong for you not to talk about <laughs> what's going on right now. And it, it's uh, caused a lot of people to, to be involved. And I hope that this can be continued because, um, honestly, like, you know, nothing, in my opinion, is separated. You know, you can't, um, you can't fight for black lives and not fight for black queer lives or black trans lives. You can't, um, say that you're, like, anti-racist and also, like, not support, um, reproductive health care. Um, I don't know. There's, there's just so many things. I've actually been working on this kind of, um, I'm, I'm currently studying a, uh, social justice. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm getting a master's in social justice, I guess, in May. Woo! That's cool. Um, and as a part of my, uh, classes, I often have to, like, make plans for hypothetical organizations and so um the the kind of hypothetical organizations that i've been creating in my mind for the last like year um have been organizations that are just coalitions and collaboratives that are just people from different groups coming together because like all of the different groups are interconnected um and i do see like a push towards everyone is doing like the racial justice work um but I hope I see more of that. And it's not just like, oh, you know, this group, like, puts out their anti-racist statement, but it's like, this group is also, like, putting in the work to be involved with anti-racism. But, um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have any thoughts around, um, like, how, how different justice movements are interconnected. I, I think it's really interesting to see the the conversation around Black Lives Matter that has led to defund the police and how that's bumping up against the prison abolition movement that's been around for a long, long mm -hmm. while. You know, formal prison abolition, people calling for, for the abolition of the carceral state, has been you know, formed and working for over 30 years, rooted in much of the reproductive justice, you know, black womanist-led theology, right? Uh, Tony Bond and, the, and the, the RJ Mothers, who articulated that idea that, you know what, it is not God's will or anybody else's ideal uh, situation to have people in prison. And now we're seeing white America sit down and look at defund the police and, and just get anxious and fearful and, oh, God, what does this mean? Oh, it's so radical. It's so new. Well, it's not really radical and new, folks, right? Like, people have been, people been trying to get you to have this conversation for a long, long while. Y'all... It's like people yeah, y'all y'all don't saying. like defund the police, but it got you talking. So like you know, don't argue with what mm -hmm. works. And, and I feel like those movements are starting to bump up against each other. You know, the the prison abolition movement and Black Lives Matter in a way that the creative energy is just going to be unstoppable. You know, I my one of my favorite. Uh, phrases one of my favorite sayings is you cannot stop an idea whose time has come and we're seeing ideas whose time has come across this nation i saw in in the yeah. last two and a half three months i've seen 
Confederate statues come down in the heart of the Confederacy. We are seeing, you know, as we speak, the body of John Lewis laying in state in the Alabama Capitol where Jefferson Davis was sworn in as the president of the Confederacy. We, we are seeing these transformative benchmarks, these hallmarks of change just blossom right now because of sustained continuous action for decades. And I'm looking out thinking, how much more can we get? Because I'm here for the getting, you know, like I'm, I'm here. I'm here to keep pushing this this down the field as far as we can go, because we've not seen this kind of movement. We, we've not seen this collective group action in a long, long while. Um, and it's not coming because we elected the right person. It's not coming because, you know, political parties have somehow come and given us salvation. It's coming because people are standing up and speaking their values and living uh, out what they want to see the world look like right now in the streets. Yeah. Uh, also, like, a, a thing that I've been seeing is uh, defund the police has been a thing that more people are saying. Um, I've also seen the people who are like, oh, we shouldn't be using the language defund the police because it's too mm. harsh and you're losing a bunch of people that way. And it's like uh, people who are stepping away from things that are like fearing or freaking them out. Well, and and, and I, um, shameless plug, um, I got totally fed up with white feelings uh, last month and wrote a blog about defund the police is not about white feelings, right? Because that's really the struggle around, oh, I don't feel, you know, good about that language. Well, guess what? You shouldn't feel good about that language. You shouldn't be, no person should feel good about anything that's going on with the police in America today, yesterday, or tomorrow. It should not feel good because it ain't good, right? Like, that's just the yeah. real facts, but, right? Um it's just, it's just interesting to me that when something becomes outside of, like, uh, what is the normal realm of, like, your imagination, then people, yeah. like, freak out. And I think that we need to just, you know, push into that. Um, you guys who are listening to this cannot see it, but I am wearing a shirt that says Educated Black Woman. Yeah! Fear. And, uh, like, I just think that um, historically and, like, just every black um, woman who um, I've met academically and otherwise has just been really um, looking for a future that does not exist right now. And I think that can be scary for a lot of people. And I think that it would be best for people to just, you know, push into that. Um, what do you think? Mason? No, I completely agree with you. And, you know, kind of going back to Terry's point, like, if at any point during any of this, you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, I need you to lean into that and continue learning and doing the work. Um, because with any, you know, major changes, whether it's in your own personal life or, you know, the entire country as we know it, yeah, you might be uncomfortable for, for a second, but maybe consider that it's teaching you something, you know? And, you know, kind of going off what you said, Kelly, um, one of the things that I've really felt, and I don't know if, you know, it had to do with the fact that June is Pride Month and that, you know, late May to early June is when a lot of these uh, demonstrations started, but I, you know, only being 23 years old, but I have never felt more 
solidarity to LGBTQ folks than I have felt at these protests, you know, because we we have shown up and, you know, will continue to show up for, uh, you know, Black folks, Indigenous folks, but we have also continued to show up for Black trans women. And that mm. is something that I have never, in any of, any of the prides that I've ever been to, have I felt the kind of solidarity with Black trans women that I have seen at, at these protests and that I've seen online um, for folks who have, you know, been there every single day. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable with trans people, but that has not stopped anyone um, during this time. And it's, it's really awesome to see, you know, it's really awesome to see. Yeah. Um, I, I actually have been really impressed. Not, not like I should be impressed, but like, um, obviously like coming into these protests, um, I was glad and like impressed that like these were at every protest I've seen, there's been at least one person who has a sign that like says black trans lives matter and people are listening to the leadership of um be quick who like is really just like paving the way and um doing that work and uh black queer people are you know organizing stuff um for the movement and they can be fully black and queer and i'm just really glad that like that um has not been limited and yeah because i expect well, worse. <laughs> you know and as a as a, a cis white queer from the country out here right um for a long long while the concept of queer solidarity was like you know acceptance of gays and lesbians white gays and white lesbians in the country right like our our whole our whole liberation movement just left out huge parts of society because we were already trying to deal with uh, you know LGBTQ issues we didn't want to have to deal with race issues we didn't want to have to deal with class issues we didn't want to have to deal with you know multiple families all of that stuff in the last few years has melted away because people have built a level of solidarity around multiple causes that has been life-giving. You know, the, the pie is not um, one size and we divvy it up. The pie is just multiplying. The pie is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because liberation looks even better when it's even stronger for everybody. And, you know, in my little community of Chillicothe, Ohio, being able to see trans kids come out in high school and have affirmation and support across the board from their teachers, from administration, from, you know, people in the city council. You know, the, the first year we have ever had a, like, state-recognized uh, pride was this year our county courthouse got lit up in you know rainbow colors down here which people you know I mean like is that big structural change obviously not but guess what people in this city had to look and be like oh the day after the colors changed and people had to ask well why is it pink blue and white like what's this I was so thrilled I can't even tell you because I got to have like education day 
all day about all of our issues because we have banded together across an intersectional ethic to fight as one community. We are fighting a a Black Lives Matter, queer folk are here, uh, you know, we need to do something about, uh, you know, multiple issues in the community. It's really invigorating. And I I never thought I would see it this soon in rural Ohio. I, I just have to be real honest, you know. I I had a lot of pessimism about it. But to see particularly trans kids coming into their own in Chillicothe, it's just amazing. So... I have been listening to this podcast lately. It's called It Could Happen Here. And it's specifically talking about, like, the the second American Civil War. And um, I would recommend this podcast, but just know that it's very, like, freaky. It was um, from, like, spring of 2019. And just some of the things that they talk about in there... um, about like kind of what the the I think his name's Robert Evans, um, the the podcast producer or the the guy who's hosting it. Um, he the things that he talks about as like the steps towards the next uh, civil war are things that have uh, happened in the last few months, and uh, it's very very scary. But um, so today I listened to an episode. It's a, it's a shorter episode called How to Save America. For some reason, uh, when I was listening to this on my phone, it didn't show me all the other episodes that there were. So I stopped at How to Save America. Anyway, but uh, so uh, this episode is about like how. Um, so he describes the first episode is about like how the um, the left could start the um, the civil war from like having protests where the police like so it, basically what he imagined is like uh, a constant protest cycle. And then one time uh, the police, you know, get get even more upset and what should have been less than lethal um, weapons becomes lethal weapons and a few people die and then that's what sparks the Civil War. So that's the first episode. And then the second episode, it talks about like how basically uh, rural America could cut off everyone and that would be the thing that starts the Civil War, um, you know. Uh, I think he talked in California about, like, how they put taxes on gas and how um, even something like a gas tax could lead to um, rural Californians to, um, you know, cut people off and uh, really spark a, a war in America. Um, anyway, but in this, in this episode, after people had been commenting and sending him messages about how depressed these other messages made them, um, or these other episodes made them, um, he had to put out this short episode about, like, how we could stop a civil war from happening. And one thing he talks about is how, um, Democrats and Republicans and people who live in the city and people who live in the country believe that they are much more different than they actually are. And um, if we could, like, actually talk about, like, the things that we have in common rather than the things that we don't, um, then we could have more solidarity with each other and then not (laughs) start a civil war. Um, Maybe it'll be a war against the state. Who knows? But um, anyway, (laughs) but at least having having solidarity with each other is is, um, an important way to make sure that, like, this is less likely to happen. 
um, and it's less likely that a lot of people die because I don't think anybody wants that to happen. Um, but creating solidarity across across lines of assumed difference, especially I think between um, rural and city, which I think is uh, a divide that seems deeper than it actually is. Totally. Yeah. Did you did you happen to catch? Um, Timothy Snyder's interview with Meghna Chakrabarty on NPR this last weekend. I'm 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 showing my yeah I'm showing my like super super white liberal roots up in here. Um, so <laughs> Timothy Snyder, um, author of On Tyranny, the best little book that you ever ever need to read. Um, very much what what you were sharing, you know, with the podcast in terms of, hey, you know, it could happen here. What would it look like, you know, long-term civil war? Um, his focus is not so much on um, whether the civil war could happen again here, but whether or not fascist dictatorships could take over. Um, you know, if we had, like, I don't know, completely incapable, incompetent leader who was a strong... Uh, figure, but really a weak leader, and who I don't know decided to send violent troops into um, other U.S. cities. If that should ever happen at any point, um, <laughs> yeah. So, like Timothy Snyder's basic upshot was, yeah, it's already happening. We're already here. Oh my God, we need to ring the bells. And you know, Timothy Snyder is like a boring history guy. He is not one given for hyperbole. He's not one given for like alarm. And he basically, you know, took Magna Chakrabarty through the conversation about, okay, you have a situation in Portland where the head of DHS doesn't know what an arrest really is. Like, doesn't even know what an arrest is. When when you take people away from a scene, that's an arrest. And he was trying to defend these these van um repositionings or these uh you know oh we're we're just trying to like get them to a safe area so that they can have a consensual encounter with us well okay you can't have a consensual encounter with somebody who you force into a van like oh my god what is wrong with our nation right now when this is the leadership but but timothy snyder was really clear about like we got here because these people who are currently in positions of authority, like the DHS secretary, you know, like the head of Homeland Security, they are people who have not been approved by any, um, you know, method through uh, Senate confirmation or, you know, any other kind of oversight. They are acting in their positions and they are using tactics and people from the Border Patrol which Timothy Snyder was really clear. He's like, you know, this is how fascism really starts. They take people who have, have learned how to do law enforcement on the border, where there is a very clear, well, there's us and there's them, and we count and they don't. So anything you do against them, the they that you are policing, is perfectly fine. Well, once a person learns that the other is subhuman, the other is, you know, sub-citizen, the other doesn't have rights, all you have to do is transplant that person who has learned that method of, of violence against someone else. You have to transport them into the interior of the country 
point them at citizens and tell them these citizens are just like those other people who you've dealt with. They don't really have rights either, or they shouldn't have rights. And Timothy Snyder made a really, you know, clear, cogent point that, like, pretty much every stop along the way for the last 150 years that we have seen massive genocide at the hands of special police forces. They have gone from policing the border to policing their own citizens, and they have taken the violence that people have taken for granted on the border and applied that to the citizenry. For me, that is like the key linchpin reason why people need to start standing up and giving a damn, you can bleep that, um, about... (laughs) I feel like about this situation <laughs> right on our borders because immigration customs enforcement border control all that bs is going to get turned on the rest of us before too long because when we allow that kind of dehumanization for someone on our border eventually there's going to be a justification to use that against people in the interior of the country especially when you have officials who are too stupid to even know what an arrest is here endeth the sermon but yeah i'm 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 in your pew i'm singing amen because um you know, whether it's a fascist dictatorship or a civil war or both at the same time, because, well, 2020, why not have both at the same time, right? <laughs> if any year could do it, it's this year. I don't I don't look forward to either of those outcomes, but I think we're closer than we ever have been to to both um, both realities at this point. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, Mason, I saw you have a similar reaction when he was talking about a strong but weak leader. He's an idiot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you what you think about the upcoming civil war or fascist dictatorship. <laughs> I mean, you know, anything is possible in 2020. Um, That's true. If if the civil war happens, I will pose this question to you. Uh, where do you see yourself in the in the war? What is your role? Oh gosh, I don't whatever wherever the leaders of this civil war need me to be is where I will be. Um yeah. you know, who's to say? <laughs> oh my gosh. Imagine uh digital organizing in the age of a civil war. <laughs> do we have the internet during the civil war? Or will you think um, they'll cut the lines? I I'm hoping that um, there will either be the internet will still exist or uh, the you know the the radicals who are going against the the government will have created the the second internet you know kept the connection I think the internet A is second key. internet no he'll he'll yeah we're on to he'll, hillbillies <laughs> hillbillies in big old trucks with CBs right citizen band radios that's where we're going back to right like. As as we're saying it, oh my goodness! We'll all have oh one. my lord! I'll we'll send you a letter. You know, and yes. this yes. this kind of this kind of brings me to a when when uh, Kelly was asking that question, I know I noticed you just you kind of smiled a little bit, um, and for me when when um, all this mess with coronavirus started and people started stressing out and freaking out about like oh my gosh, everything in my life is going to change and now I have to look at everybody with suspicion and I'm worried and I'm anxious. and I'm, You know, for me as a queer person, 
I was like, welcome to the party because I'm anxious all the time because I live in a homophobic, um, yep. you know, queerphobic world. There's part of me that just kind of chuckled because I'm like, well, I mean, here's here's a, a bold trans activist who people, you, you're asking the question, like, what are you going to do when the whole rest of the world has to fight like you do? Well, I'm, I'm just going to show up where I need to show up because I'm doing the same thing <laughs> I've been doing. I, I, think that's, I think that's pretty profound, right? Because um, this <laughs> well, is not for the week of It's interesting, too, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, even now with uh, coronavirus and, and restaurants opening back up and stuff, I've seen a couple people say, I shouldn't use the bathrooms. I don't know if it's safe. And it's like, welcome to my every day. <laughs> right? Oh, God. Em- Pee at home. Embrace <laughs> how that feels and keep that in your experience file the next time we have a conversation about BS bathroom bills. Yeah, I I never really thought about that, but yeah, like uh, a civil war would essentially just be like all the uh, you know privileged white liberals who uh, have been able who have had the privilege to not have to fight all the time every day. Um, they now are going to feel the same kind of anxiety, and the reason why I don't know if y'all saw it, but I took my antidepression pill right in the beginning of this. Uh, they can uh, feel the same kind of um, anxiety and depression and hopelessness that like queer folk and black folk and uh, lower income folk, all of us have been feeling the you, entire You time. can make your own hormones or store-bought's fine, right? Like we're, we're totally good with that, right? <laughs> um, and I, yeah, and I, yes. I think, I think you're absolutely right because we've got, People talk about the political dysfunction in this country. The real political dysfunction we have is that about 80% of, you know, both sides of the political spectrum right now are totally asleep to the real concerns of of normal, everyday, um, ordinary people. And the other 20% is split among people who are fighting for collective liberation and people who literally want to, you know, murder folk (laughs) who don't agree with their ideological, religious, uh, you know, fanatic interpretation of their holy books. I mean, the, the number of people that I have had to literally listen to who say, well, you know, all this coronavirus wouldn't be big a deal if we would teach the Bible in school again. Really, honey, like, I love y'all, but, I, you know, I studied the Bible, uh, you know, got two degrees from seminary. I'm pretty sure ain't nothing in the Bible going to help you wear a mask and not be an absolute jackass. My, my blood boils because it's yeah. like, these things these things are not going to get better without strategic intervention on behalf of the 80%. So if we end up in a civil war, at least the 80% will be woke up, right? Like the rest of us will Waking right, up. the rest of us will be following Mason yeah. like where do you need us today? Right? Like this <laughs> clocking in again. You know, Trans rights. Fighting, <laughs> fighting the oppression express, right? That's how this is working. Yeah. Uh, it'd be it'd be like a, a job application that like other duties that's, is, that's um, right like, as assigned and just like whatever whatever duty you're assigning me today that's yeah. what I'll be doing it um, all yeah. about it well all about it. so 
that's about all the time we have for today. Mason, it has been great having you. And uh, yeah, it's been just a really good conversation about um, all that's going on right now. So uh, just to plug um, the event that we talked about earlier, so 150 Days of Injustice Revitalized Black Lives will be happening on Saturday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Goodell Park. Um, and hope to see you there and be ready to, you know, do some grounding work for your self-care, get some education on uh, how to sustain movements, and uh, learn how to be a safe protester. And then we're gonna do a march, and we're also gonna be making signs, and uh, it'll, it'll just be a great time. So um, we hope to see you on Saturday, and yeah, have a good day. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. And again, this has been Kelly Fox and Terry Williams for the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Check us out at ohiorcrc.org slash podcast for an extended version of today's podcast and lots more. <laughs>